new construction options. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Building. Reinforcements have yes, arrived. Sir. Not a problem. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. You've got it. Construction complete. Hello, uh, welcome to the DOS Game Club podcast. This is uh, episode 6, in which we played uh, Westwood Studios' Command and Conquer. Um, now, I'm not alone. I'm here with uh, Florian. Hey. And I'm also here with our favorite Frenchman, Marwan. Hello. And we've got a new member joining us, uh, which is Philip. Hi there. So, uh, the four of us, we're going to uh, talk about Command and Conquer, which we've played all month. Um... Yeah, and just see what this game is all about. So, there we go. It was you, Florian, who picked this game, wasn't it? I think I did, yes. So, uh, did you pick it because you played it back in the day? Um, actually, I thought I had played it, but after playing it this month, I think I must have only played one of the successors. Um, <laughs> I don't remember playing ever playing this game specifically. Really? Really. I'm oh. surprised myself, but, uh, you know, my memory is bad and it all gets a bit blurry when it's longer than 10 minutes ago, basically. <laughs> Did you figure out uh, which one was it in the end? Uh, I'm not sure. It might have been Red Alert. Right. But, uh, I'll, I'll have to try all of them to find the right one. Yeah, there's a lot. But I think Red Alert came out pretty quickly after Command & Conquer, though. Um, because Command & Conquer is from 95 and I think Red Alert is from 96. So these games, they, they, they were released very quickly. After each other. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think that makes it easy to confuse them. Right. Uh, there were more people, actually, who, uh, who thought Red Alert was Command & Conquer. But, so, okay, so you actually played it for the first time? Um, yeah, apparently I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, what did you think? Well, um, in the beginning I thought it was really nice and I enjoyed the first few missions a lot, but then uh, it got kind of difficult and I got uh, slightly annoyed by some of the uh, user experience problems that this game has. And I guess we'll elaborate on that a bit later, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, let's stay at the beginning for a while because um, the first impressions this game makes, I, I just remember... It it was huge. Uh, it w it made huge impressions on me back back when it when I first played it, uh, and it it starts at the installer, right? Actually, 
the installer is impressive. Uh, I mean, all the other DOS games that we have played so far in DOS Game Club, you just uh, install them using a text installer, and that's it, basically. But um, with Command & Conquer, you start the installer, and the first thing it does is to ask you for your sound card, which is usually the last step in most setup programs that I've seen. But it does so that it can tell you with wire this this um, EVA noise voice thing what's actually going on in the installer right now. And that was pretty impressive, and it looks great. And yeah, it, you're basically starting to play the game while still in the installer. And don't forget that while you're even asked about your sound card, you see animations of rocket beings assembled, right. and yes. all the jazz. Right. Like the installer is a whole experience. True, totally. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it already puts you right in the middle of the the spirit of the game. It's like uh, if you pick the wrong sound card, you're about to get shot at by, by the FBI or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it goes from, from the installer directly to the intro and then from there directly to the first mission before you even see mm. the main menu. Um, oh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, I think that, that's, that's a nice, nice little uh, thing to do. This is much more seamless than, than, uh, than is... Well, most DOS games aren't like this at all. Uh, they have this separate text thing that's really outside of the, everything. But this game is really integrated, really nice. Right. I mean, Strike Commander did something not completely unlike that, where it had um, this um, satellite data unpacking thing going on every time you start the installer. Hmm. Um, but besides that, I don't know many games that put you right into the game even while you're installing it. Yeah, it and it does the 90s cliche thing of the computer going berserk because at the beginning it tells you, oh, yeah, stuff like installing sounds, installing graphics, like the trivial stuff. And in the end, more and more stuff comes up, which goes faster and faster, which is basically uh, like a video and an animation at the end of the installer. Like your computer's overloaded by this <laughs> powerful game, <laughs> <laughs> and all this five uh, no four years maybe before the Matrix movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, and the funny thing is to install this on a modern system. Actually, like the boring stuff at the beginning is super fast, and then this your computer grows crazy because you're doing so much crazy stuff. Like comes afterwards, like. Right after it, because nowadays computers have SSDs and stuff. So the installation really is fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you. You mentioned it skips the the main intro, the the main menu, right? Uh, the first time you play, but when you restart the game, and and you do see the main menu, uh, I remember it starts with explosions. I think. There's two explosions on the side. Ah, right. And then yes, in the middle. Yes. So that's also great. They were really going for the impact. Right. You know, with the, the end of the installer going crazy and then the, the explosions when you start the game. It's really, uh, well, it's very 90s all, uh, yeah. really. It's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a cliche now, but it wasn't. Of course. They, they, they seem to have gone uh, clearly for a mood uh, between serious war and uh, maybe over-the-top explosions yeah. and action. <laughs> yeah, and, totally. And humor. They, they have found a sort of blend between the, the seriousness and the humor that is pretty original. Yeah. I think, I think it. Um, well, I was, I was only 12 or 13 at the time when this game came out, so I thought it was hugely <laughs> impressive, but. I was easy to impress, I suppose. <laughs> I guess we all were. 
Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 true. Even in the in game, I mean, the game itself is more or less serious about stuff, and the explosions are a bit over the top. Even when you blow up an enemy building, then it's really like, uh, wow, uh, what's going on here? This is really loud yeah. and and impressive. But at the same time, the cutscene acting is pretty hilarious, I think. And I think it's, <laughs> I, I hope it's intentionally uh, hilarious. Well, the cutscenes, they are really, they are something, uh, a separate topic that we really should discuss. I mean, these, these cutscenes, they are really something. Right. Uh, there are a lot of them. There are an amazing amount of them. And I think this was also pretty uh, new at the time to have <coughs> so much uh, full motion video in a DOS game. Uh, I don't think this has been done much before this game. Right. And there's, there's not, not only that, you get those many, many large, long videos. And at the same time, I don't know, 20 audio tracks or something like that on each CD. Yeah. It's... It's, I wonder how they put all that on CDs. Yeah, because this was also before um, all sorts of compression algorithms, such as uh, uh, MPEG-4 or, or DivX or MP... Well, there was MP3, but I don't think the game is using that, actually. Yeah, the game runs on, a, I think, 66 megahertz, 486, and you don't decode MP3 or uh, MPEG on that, I think. No, exactly. So... Yeah, it's really uh, it's really impressive. It's also that time when people were really trying to uh, push the CD-ROM to the limits, <clears throat> because I think the PlayStation One is also from around this time. Yeah, the uh, I, actually when I was young, I played the PlayStation version. Mm. The game was released in uh, 1997, I think. Uh, it was ported a bit after the DOS version. Mm. But yeah, it was uh, the PlayStation era at the time. Yeah, exactly. So they were really pushing this this <coughs> how much content can we fit into a game right. thing. So uh, yeah, it was a huge deal. And the, the PlayStation version, I think, has even more content than the original DOS version because it has uh, the additional missions uh, from the expansion of sorts. I'm not sure how it's called already. But uh, yeah, they managed to fit a lot into... Those two CDs, actually, there's two of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So now that I think of it, maybe that might, that might explain a little bit how they managed to put so much cutscenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's one disc for uh, for each side, for each campaign. Uh, there are two campaigns with the game. Uh, you can pick two sides. Well, you can pick one of two sides. Uh, GDI versus uh, Nod, famously. Yeah. And uh, uh, each each side, each campaign has their own disc. So it's uh, one CD-ROM full of just the, the, the uh, cutscenes for this one half of the game. So, yeah, this is... And actually, as a copy protection, mm. you needed the CD in the drive. And the interesting thing is that you actually could lend one of the two CDs to your friend who then could play... Well, if I am playing the GDI campaign, the friend could play the not campaign or vice versa. Yeah. However, we would distribute the CDs. This is a very good point. That was a huge thing. Yes. So it, it's like every copy of the game was also a promotional copy for someone else. So this was really helping to spread this game to everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's a clever trick. But that was more common back in the day, I guess. Um, they, you very often had those network install options. Um, I think StarCraft had it later, and um, 
Need for Speed 2 at least has it. And yeah, you could mm. just install the network version on as many computers as you want, but you could only ever join uh, multiplayer games with that. Yeah, but with Command and Conquer, you can actually play half of the game yeah, using right. your disc. So yeah, that's quite something. Right. I think it was a pretty common uh, copy protection uh, method to to require the disc to be uh, inserted while playing. Yeah. But also, I mean, you also need it. You can't even do a full install, I think. You can't install all of the audio and all of the movies to your hard disk. Uh, because in 1995, who would have 1.4 gigabytes of space available? Yeah, right. So... That makes no sense for... That would be the full disk. Yeah, I think it installs like 80 megabytes or something like that on hard disk. Yeah, exactly. I guess the main program and units, uh, graphics and sounds, and that's probably it. Yeah, and it streams the music and the cutscenes from the from the CD-ROM. So it it's not just a copy protection method. It's actually required. Right. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's really trying to impress. Uh, and then you play that first mission... Um, does anyone remember what they were thinking while playing the first mission? I don't even remember exactly what the first mission was, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Just move some units around, probably. There was no building involved, I think. Yeah, exactly. And with the GDI, you're having a few units, a few vehicles, and a reinforcement, reinforcement so good to uh, the the game just in case you you managed to get yourself killed <laughs> but uh, it was a, a pretty simple search and destroy everything on the map uh, objective like like most of the games are in the end or most missions are in the end right? well uh, not all of them I, actually one of the, of the last not missions i've played was uh infamous infamously about uh, destroying a whole village uh, no, not uh, doing war against against the GDI, but uh, actually destroying a village uh, because uh, they were friends with the GDI, uh, just civilians who destroyed uh, their buildings, their houses, and uh, the people inside of them. <laughs> that was a, a really special mission. But uh, yeah, uh, not all missions are about just uh, shooting at all all the soldiers. No, no, no. That's actually what one of the pretty cool things that that there's some variety in in the objectives. It's uh, not every mission is the same, and especially when you're playing the North, you you feel really evil. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, blowing up these villagers and and uh, trying to pin the blame on the GDI for for the crap you're doing. It's really uh, you're really the bad guys. Yeah, especially if you. When you play the game, I remember as a kid when I played the game for the first time, I was really into it and I played the whole GDI campaign. And then you, you finish the game, so because every campaign is uh, sufficient in it. So you finish the GDI campaign, congratulations, you have won. The nice guys have won and peace is restored. And then you, fin you finish this and then you have the second city. <laughs> so you, you have the other city with uh, this big red symbol on it like uh, you're going to the dark side of the force yeah exactly and, uh, and you put this city in and you wonder what's gonna happen like you're going uh, evil yeah did you all start playing gbi hmm. uh, yes i mean it's uh, doesn't it even say it's it's um, i think gbi is the install disk that you need to install the game and i guess you just leave it in and start playing right and then it's gbi 
Well, but you don't have to. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. That's you don't. No, that's fair not, point. But, uh, I think back when I played it when I was young, I I always wanted to play the Nod missions more than the GDI. I thought the GDI was a bit uh, boring or a bit, I don't know, too nice, a bit obvious. Yeah, and the Nod that felt interesting and felt like, oh yeah, these guys, what are they up to? <laughs> But it's a good point that you, you install the game using the GDI disc. So the game sort of... Suggests you uh, to start, yeah. Yeah. With yeah. The, the nice but um, I get the impression that you didn't pick the GDI, Philip, did you? Oh, no. I started with not, to be honest. <laughs> um, and this stems from two things. The one is, and I think we'll talk about it later... Um, if you ever have played Dune 2, mm -hmm. you know the Harkonnen, like the real evil guys, are the best choice by far. And the other reason is, I thought everybody would start with GDI, so I just want to give the evil guys a go. <laughs> I play yeah. good guys everywhere I go, now I wanted to give the evil guys a go. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you me you mentioned Dune 2, but this is... Um, I mean, this game is clearly not... Uh, breaking too much with what they built with June 2 it's really a a progression it's not really a revolution well there's some there's some new stuff that's really new but it's also heavily influenced <clears throat> by June 2 i suppose i haven't played um, June 2 but i've heard it's uh, the command and conquer really improves still on the what they already innovated with June 2 yeah i think that's a fair thing to say they they changed a lot the the user interface is a bit different and It's um well the the cutscenes aren't there in June 2 but there are three uh three campaigns in June 2 so so there are three sides to pick from so there's three sets of units and three sets of buildings so in a way command and conquer is a bit more compact but it's also um more well it's 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 more smooth i think the the user interface is a bit less clunky Uh, and and it's all, yeah. It feels more modern, definitely. Is there even uh, uh, on foot units in June? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, they are. Oh, okay. Um, and I think what for me comes really down to the difference of Dune 2 to Command and Conquer is a thing we nowadays totally take for granted, and that's that we're able to group units. Hmm. And in Command and Conquer, it's even possible to group, yeah. And not limited amount of units. Like, I click, I move my mouse cursor, and I release the mouse button, and I have a group. What nowadays feels so natural and normal back then was something quite new. Because with Dune 2, you had to click on each and every unit, click on move, or use a M shortcut, and click where to go. And this meant if you had like 10 tanks, you had to click, well, on the tank where it had to go, on the tank where it had to go, and so on and so forth. And this yeah. was a huge thing. Yeah, definitely. But this, this, this way of doing things in Dune still shows in Command and Conquer. Absolutely. Like when you're trying to move some infantry units into a transporter, then you have to move, move everyone individually and you have to wait until the previous one has actually entered the vehicle because before you can even think about moving the next one in and that that's one of the usability things i uh, thought were very annoying to make and make made the game rather hard to play for me i think yeah i think i think it's interesting because if you come from june 2 uh command and conquer feels like an improvement right 
But I think you, on the other way, you, you came from Red Alert, or maybe even a game after. So Command & Conquer may feel like a step back. Right. Uh, but to, to be honest, I, I don't have many memories of Red Alert or uh, Tiberian Sun and all the other CNC games. Uh, but I played a lot of StarCraft and WarCraft, and mm. there it definitely feels different. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Blizzard games, they were always a bit more tight and a bit... Well, there's a reason these games are used in eSports. Right. Uh, and, and Westwood games, not so much. Um, it was a huge, huge um, a rivalry going on back in the day between Blizzard and, and Westwood. Uh, because these games you mentioned, Warcraft especially, came out just before Command & Conquer, I think? Yes, it came out in 94. Yes. So these games, they, they were uh, being released in succession. It was first the June 2, then you, ca- you had Warcraft, <clears throat> then Command & Conquer, like an answer to, to the... Uh, and and then Warcraft Two was released as an answer to Command and Conquer. So yeah, and then it, it, it just it just exploded from here because yeah. we have Total Annihilation in '97, Starcraft in '98, Age of Empire One and Two released uh, in two years interval. Uh, yeah, '97, '99. Yeah, it just exploded. Right. <laughs> but I feel these games are all all an answer to the previous one, uh, and not staying within their own universe like Warcraft. Two is not just uh, a sequel to Warcraft; it's also a response to Command and Conquer. So they're all looking at each other and all trying to uh, learn from each other as well. Um, because the way the the user interface has shaped uh, and developed over the years, that's uh, if you play all these games in succession, you can really see the the ideas about the the user interface grow over time. Right. Um, because June 2 feels really clunky. Oh, yes. And even if you look at Warcraft 2, which came out after the first Command & Conquer, it had stuff not, well, necessarily worse or better, but different. Because in Warcraft 2, you only had a limited amount of characters you could select at the same time. And I just said, like, in Command & Conquer, you could select unlimited amount of units. But mm. this was also an advantage in Warcraft 2 terms because then you were able to deselect units from a group far more easily. On the other hand, with Command & Conquer, like just fast creating large groups was far easier. Yeah, right. And it's a totally different uh, way of playing it, I guess. Yeah, it feels a bit different because uh, Warcraft also has the two-button click, like left and right click. They both are used a lot in, in selecting and giving orders. Uh, well, uh, Command & Conquer just uses the left one mainly and the right one is just for cancel, I think. Uh, so this changes the way that you interact with it, I think. Um, and I seem to remember that you weren't a big fan of the, of the input scheme of Command & Conquer, are you, Florian? Uh, no, not at all, to be honest. <laughs> um, I was rather disappointed by it, um, but maybe I mean, yeah. You, you, as you said, it's coming from Dune too, and that's that's uh, still an improvement from there. But when you're used to the newer Blizzard games, then it's it, it feels really clunky. I mean, you accidentally you want to move your unit somewhere, but you accidentally click something, and suddenly your first unit is deselected instead of moving, and hmm. things like that. And for some reason, sometimes you just 
accidentally click on the corner of the of the screen and it deselects instead of moving and there were some things that yeah. i was not very happy about at all and then you click your mini map and then you accidentally move a unit right to some to to the other side of the map right yeah. but uh, yeah and if you have to, if you have units selected and you want to move the map then you first have to uh, put them into a numbered group and then deselect them move to the new location and reselect the group that's uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's not super intuitive maybe but then again yeah it's it's really part of a of a of a development and, and games uh they they followed really quickly in this uh in this era so uh, i think red alert already is an improvement on on command and conquer i think they learned from their mistakes oh yes but yeah to be honest i did select not for the reason to be able to access the more fun units because with the red alert it really comes down to i mean playing the soviets i think is just more fun because <laughs> i mean it's basically the same game in terms of mechanics but the units are even more over the top and yeah like the evil guys are just more fun in terms of yeah unit selection yeah. and the like yeah i agree i i even think the cutscenes are more fun as well Oh yes, uh, because they have Kane, the the, the super super evil overlord, <clears throat> which is very scary, and uh, uh, yeah, it's just the GDI. It all feels a bit formal, and it feels a bit uh, yeah, like it's okay. It's the good thing to do. Yeah, yeah, we get it. And and the nod just it's just crazy. It's just all over the place. Exactly. I guess it also comes down to what you usually play and what you like to play. I mean, in role-playing games, I'm always playing the nice guy and I cannot get myself to do anything evil in those games. And I guess Aww. it's the same with uh, Command & Conquer, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, very much. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about how the game looks um, and, the, and the full motion video and the, and the interface and everything. But there's also a, an interesting thing going on with the resolution. Uh, I think you you said something about this, Marwan. Yeah, uh, I actually a bit like uh, with uh, SimCity, mm -hmm. I had the issue of uh, of having the game at least the DOS version uh, play at a pretty low resolution. I'm not sure what it was exactly. Uh, I, I think it's uh, 320 by 200. Yeah, you don't have too much space with that. <laughs> But uh, no. it leaves just a small part of the screen, so you have to scroll a lot uh, to figure out what is going on. And uh, I understand that uh, lim limitation at the time, especially uh, when we see the Windows 95 version, uh, which was uh, released a bit later, which supported uh, much higher resolutions. Uh, but uh, just for the sake of, of the DOS game club, I played the, the DOS version. Yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> and uh, do you remember if the PlayStation version also had this low resolution? Uh, I'm not sure, but um, if it was bigger, not too bigger, I think. No, not mm. too much. I, I do remember having to quite scroll uh, on the PlayStation. Yeah. What's interesting is that Red Alert uh, was released... A bit in the, uh, the 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 time when Windows was uh, growing and and it, more and more people were using it, but it wasn't that large that that you could release a Windows only game. So Red Alert was actually released for Windows and DOS at the same time. Uh, it was a hybrid uh, executable which you could launch from both Windows and from DOS. Uh, but when you played it in DOS, the resolution was much lower. 
Uh, and when you played the Windows version, the, the resolution, you could I think you could select the resolution or it was higher by default, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, this was really that transition to a higher resolution, which was somehow coupled with using Windows. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I'm looking at, at screenshots of the PlayStation version. Maybe it was a mm -hmm. bit a bit the same resolution. And uh, strangely, the UI is uh, quite different. Huh. And I remember from looking at the screenshots and uh, the, the UI on the, on the right, the sidebar was pretty different huh. over the PC version. <clears throat> It looks like every port has its own version of the sidebar. <laughs> it's a bit strange. Maybe because the mouse cursor doesn't work so well with the controller? Yeah, yeah they probably optimized things for for the, the controller, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Just a small thing about the Windows versus DOS version. You have to think back in the day, it was super common to have a game on your Windows 95 PC and select reboot to DOS on your machine. Oh, yeah. So, totally. like, switching operating system from DOS to Windows and or back was totally common. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not really sure if there even was a version or if people n felt the need for a version, like, um, selector of the resolution. Because, I mean, you, can't, you could just boot to DOS, so... Yeah, I don't know. ...you'd be fine. I don't know why why this lower resolution was was uh, exclusive to DOS and the higher resolutions were exclusive to Windows. I don't know. I, uh, may I offer an hypothesis about that? <laughs> yeah, I was um, hoping you would. Um, the thing is, with those um, higher resolutions, you would re rely on the uh, Visa BIOS extensions, and they may not always have worked uh, perfectly on DOS, and you would need a software driver to make them work better. And you on Windows, you basically um, had to install your graphics driver anyway. But on DOS, it was just... Uh, I think it was not very, very... Uh, time efficient in terms of development time and costs to make a driver for each graphics card that you might encounter. Hmm. I mean, um, I remember some games that uh, asked me about what kind of graphics card I had, like um, SimCity 2000 did that. Mm -hmm. um, but that was uh, maybe maybe the number of, of different graphics cards with different Visa BIOS extensions just exploded in the time when um, Command & Conquer was released. And yeah. so it was probably not, not really feasible to... Um, have different DOS drivers for each kind of graphics hardware. But on Windows, you had them anyway, so... Right. Yeah, this makes sense. Um, because there, the, the Super VGA was really exploding uh, by the mid-90s. But the early 90s, uh, when SimCity was released, I don't think this was such a big deal back then. Right. So maybe the, the number of different video cards was also less. Huh. Well, that's. Uh, I think. I think that's more than just a hypothesis, Florian. Uh, <laughs> I think. Let's hope so. <laughs> maybe, maybe some people will tell us, "Oh, this is such a bullshit you're talking about." Uh, here's here's the real explanation. And if someone does well, that, then we'll happily include it in the next yeah, podcast. You are the best expert we have. Yeah. Uh, so we'll trust an expert you. in very big quotes. <laughs> um. So that's the graphics, um, but I think the, the sound improvement over June 2 is also huge. Um, <coughs> well, it's, it's funny because uh, I'm really talking about the music now. Um, June 2 had uh, MIDI music, as f a lot of DOS games had, uh, but Command & Conquer featured uh, CD audio tracks. Um, I'm not sure if you could even play them on a normal CD player. 
Some games had this, where you just put the CD-ROM in your uh, CD player and it would play back. I'm not sure if Command & Conquer feature, uh, has that as well, but anyway, it does have uh, CD audio music, which sounds a lot more impressive than, uh, than the MIDI uh, huh. yeah, sound. It just expands the possibilities. Yeah, it, it makes... They, they took advantage of that a lot, I, I think. Because not only uh, it was maybe a, a technical achievement at the time, but uh, artistically, I think the soundtrack uh, still stands up uh, pretty well today. It's a, a really great uh, soundtrack. Yeah, I, I really agree. It's uh, it's super cool. It's all the there's really two kinds of songs. There's there's really catchy, uh, almost rock like music with beats and samples and really cool. And there are also a few more orchestral songs or tracks, uh, yeah. but really the, the the rocky driving beaty ones. Those are really awesome. Yeah, I actually, uh, like uh, all of them. Uh, uh, as indeed the the most upbeat ones, uh, while they are mostly during uh, fighting, and then there are more orchestra, orchestral or ambient tracks. But mm -hmm. I I really like those as well. Yeah, uh, they're not bad. I because I had troubles uh, figuring out what what uh, should we call this genre of uh, of music. I'm not even sure. So I, I actually did some research. Uh, the soundtrack being made by Frank Klepaki. Klepaki. Yeah, Klepaki. Uh, I think Klepaki. I don't okay. know. I, it sounds maybe Italian. I uh, don't know. I have no idea. Frank Frank Klepaki. Yeah. But uh, you can find on the internet some interesting articles about the soundtrack. Uh, most notably, he explained how he uh, gathered influences from uh, the music of the time, uh, being uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Rage Against the Machine, mm -hmm. or movie soundtracks like those uh, from Danny Elfman. And uh, uh, yeah, you can uh, once you hear uh, what the influences are, you can realize. Oh yeah, uh, those tracks definitely sound a bit like uh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. So it's uh, really a melting pot of uh, various styles that he managed to blend in the in a cohesive way. That was uh, and it yielded uh, a lot of cool tracks. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's. Uh And and also uh, very memorable the, the the samples used like uh, mechanical man and uh, uh, just do it up and uh, yeah. what's there um, something got hit or something uh, yeah, the, the, the first two are, are the one I remember the most <laughs> yeah there was this one uh, when you when you finish a level when when you finish as a nerd you get a, a nice shot oh yeah to nice shot that's the one I meant. Nice shot. Um, yeah. <laughs> return to Buzz immediately at the end. Don't forget that. Very important. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, for the record, you can actually hear the full soundtrack and even uh, cut uh, tracks from the game on the website of uh, Frank Klepaki. Hmm. He oh, just nice. uh, hosts uh, all of his music uh, on his site and uh, with uh, a small player. You can listen to them anytime. For free. Oh, that's super cool. And you have to think about uh, one thing with the music that was a huge thing for me back in the day. Well, Dune 2 had one advantage. It had very limited amount of tracks, but it changed tracks depending on the situation you're in. Like hmm. when the enemy comes rolling into your base, it played another music, then yeah, nothing happens now. But 
Command and Conquer had another really neat feature, and that was that you could select the song you want to hear in the game. Like you have a little player, you can change the track you want to hear right now. Yeah. And that's uncommon, I think, during that time. You, you could even set it to shuffle, I think. It was like a mini mini music player inside the game. It's really cool. Yes, and I mean, the music was... Uh, for later games, even released as an OST, like a uh, soundtrack. And I remember that I even bought remix CDs, which contained um, all kinds of Command & Conquer soundtrack <laughs> tracks remixed by then famous musicians and DJs. Oh, that's amazing. I, oh, that's super cool. <laughs> I really have to look it up if I have this CD flying around somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, what's interesting, actually, I just thought of this, is that um, I was playing June 2 a little bit just to see what the differences are. But then I noticed that the, uh, the soldier voices, when you click on a unit, uh, it's almost exactly the same. Uh, so when you click on a guy, he says, uh, uh, what did it say? Like, um, and I mostly remember them uh, shouting, Row! <laughs> once a day yeah <laughs> but i think it's the same sound as well or or maybe very similar yeah it's maybe not yeah. exactly the same but it's sort of the same system where you just click on a guy and he says uh yeah. ready and waiting and so yeah. that's actually from the gameplay videos i've seen of of june 2 the, the voices sounded similar yeah. yeah so i i didn't uh well i didn't remember this but uh i thought it was also an innovation brought to command and conquer but it it was already there in june 2 yeah, and still each unit had the same sound, like not in, if you remember, like StarCraft or something, which came later on, or even Warcraft 2, where each unit had a different response. Hmm. They just have a generic, yeah, it's a unit, it makes a noise. Yeah, yeah uh, we've got to admit, yeah, that Blizzard pushed this voice thing very, very further. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, definitely, with the orcs. Then, yeah. Going, <laughs> <laughs> I, on, I only know the French version of the... Of the Blizzard voices. <laughs> oh, really? Did they translate the whole thing to French? Yeah, they are, they are pretty notorious for translating their games, uh, even the audio parts, uh, in a lot of different languages. And huh. the fresh French version uh, had a, a pretty good quality uh, for the voiceovers as hmm. well. Did you play Command & Conquer in French as well? Oh, I guess the, when I played it back in PlayStation, I guess it was in French, probably. Huh. But I, I don't even remember. I'm not sure. Hmm. And I'm. I guess you guys played it in German. Yes, um, I did. Well, <laughs> I bought it in German and then I downloaded it in English. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> um, you know, uh, Germany has a history of censoring um, or forcing game companies to censor their games. And Violence in video games. Oh my. <laughs> they censored the whole uh, Nod campaign? Um, I'm not sure because I didn't play it, but um, there's this one thing that really annoyed me in many games. Um, for one, in um, Command & Conquer, and I think Half-Life did the same, for example, that uh, human enemies are replaced with robots or cyborgs, and that's super annoying. Oh, what? Actually, the German speakers in Command & Conquer, they're not like, oh, the unit is down, but they're shouting, oh, I'm losing cooling fluid, what? and if they die, <laughs> there's no blood, but there's like, yeah, a pool of cooling fluid there. Yes. <laughs> okay, so they're all robots? Yes. Yes. Everyone is a robot. Yes. yes. 
Wow. <laughs> well, that, that, was, that was really common for uh, games that were localized to German. Um, in, in Half-Life, for example, you're fighting not not those uh, Grand Soldier guys, but you're fighting cyborgs again. And when you shoot them, there's not no red stuff coming out, but yellow stuff. Ah, oil. So <laughs> I guess it should be oil. And even with friendly fire, I think like, like the scientists... They just fall down and sleep instead of like gruesomely <laughs> dying and bleeding around. So it's really weird. I don't remember. I didn't play Half Life uh, for very long in German. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's no wonder the Germans just gave up and started doing job simulators. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Wow, I had no idea. I, yeah, that, yeah, that was that's really it's terrible. It, it changes the whole mood and setting of the game. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But I guess. If they wanted to sell the game in German or in Germany at all, then they had to do it. And I assume they were not happy about it either. But yeah, yeah, just too big a market to ignore. But to be honest, the voice acting was not that bad. I mean, like huh. the context they had to speak was horrible. But again, I compare it to Dune 2 and Dune 2 is sounds like the most boring guy in the world does the German voiceovers mm. for the units. He's, he's not... Um, doing a ready sir with some courage and everything mm -hmm. but he's he sounds super bored uh. and that changed for it is it one guy doing all the voices uh, well in Com in dune 2 it is because hmm. there's only the only speech that is really there apart from the intro is just one guy talking the uh, the unit voices yeah. Yeah, I think actually the English version also is just one guy. Yes. Doing all the units, yeah. Yes, you have the guy speaking all the units and a woman speaking everything that's going on on the map with the enemy, like warnings, like, oh, incoming missile and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Um, so that's the audio. Um, now, we have talked a little bit about the gameplay already. Um... And we also talked a little bit about the sides that we picked, the GDI and the not sides, but we haven't talked so much about um, the actual contents, like the the, the, the units that are that are uh, part of these uh, uh, campaigns and part of these sides. Um, and actually, this is this is one of the parts of yeah, I think where where Command and Conquer really shines is that um, they're not the same units on both sides. They each have their own sort of uh, set of units, which uh, they kind of fit together. Like like one side has a has a unit, and another side has an answer to that unit. So you can sort of rock paper scissors them together. Right. That's that's something that Blizzard only managed to do well with StarCraft, and not any of the games before. Yeah. In in Warcraft, there the the units are orcs or human. Other than that, I think they're sort of similar. I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, I think in, in the in the highest tier units, um, they are. I think they all have one very very strong unit that differs, right. but that's basically the only difference. Yeah, and while in Command and Conquer, it's almost the other way around, where only the the basic soldier with a gun that's sort of the same, but from there, they're almost all different. Uh, right, even the buildings have slightly different features. I yeah. Think. Uh, because the GDI, it focuses more on big tanks. That's really the thing. Um, I think the smallest GDI tank is already up there with the largest not tank. Uh, I'm not actually sure what the largest not tank is. 
I only ever saw the uh, medium tanks. Or, uh, no, small tanks they are called, actually, I think. But then I, d I never played Nord, so... <laughs> well, there's a lot of fire and lasers and stuff with Nod. That's really more their thing. Yeah, and until you have the flamethrower guys, the GDI troops oh, are such a pain in the ass with their grenadiers. <laughs> I quit so many times on a mission early on in the game because, oh, there are grenadiers. Bang! All my units are dead. Thank you very much. I'm going to restart. Yeah, but then, then, you, then, then you get the flamethrowers and then yeah. you can basically stop playing with infantry units on GDI side because the flamethrower just mows down hundreds of your infantry units with a single guy and you, you shoot at them and they don't hit and it, they just need to get close enough once and you guys are dead. Yeah, but I think that's really the, 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 the dynamic of the rock, paper, scissors. Like, first you learn with the GDI that the Grenadiers are really strong, but then the Nod strikes back with the flamethrower, so then you have to change your strategy. I think that's actually very clever. Yeah, but um, with GDI, with the Grenadiers, yeah, they have, uh, I think, twice the range of a flamethrower, but they just mm. don't hit. They don't hit. <laughs> and then they, they walk... They... Unless you have a dozen of them. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and you get closer and closer and closer, and suddenly they're in flamethrower range. And then that's the end of your infantry troops. Yeah. I, I do feel like the grenadiers are a bit overpowered. Yeah. Uh, compared to other units, because they are, they are pretty effective, against, even against tanks, mm. actually. Oh, yes. But they're also hard to use. It's hard to not make them blow yeah. up, yeah. But if you have a lot of them together... I think I lost yeah. more units to friendly fire from <laughs> Grenadiers than to any other unit, friend or foe. Is yeah. it actually randomized if they hit or don't hit? Or is there some kind of gameplay you can do something about it? I don't think you can do anything about it. It I feels random, at least. Yeah. Yeah. The, you, you can't you can't level them up. Yeah, I, I think there's also a matter of um, trajectory. Like if the enemy is moving, hmm. uh, you have less chances to hit it yeah. with your grenade. Yeah, and also uh, when it's crouching. And uh, for it's same with uh, the bazooka, for instance. Uh, if you're facing your enemy, he's coming towards you, then you have good chances to hit it. And uh, uh, but if he's moving from the side, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you have less chances to. Yeah, to get him. So I, I'm not a soldier, but that sounds all right. That you, yeah. yeah, you have a better chance of hitting someone who's coming towards you. That sounds like it makes sense, I guess. Or <laughs> moving, or moving away from you. Yeah, uh, okay. It's, it's <laughs> just the soldiers are just shooting at where the enemy is at instant T. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Do you actually think that this game requires? more or less micromanagement than, for example, Warcraft 2 or StarCraft. Cause, more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think this is a very interesting question because in Warcraft 2 you have stuff like, oh, spells and like super actions with single units. And in this game you don't have that, but you, I think you have to manage more each single unit. But right. what yeah. do you think? I, I feel like it's a bit because uh, the AI in terms of movement is a bit more stupid. Not only it's movement. <laughs> 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 well, actually, yeah. it's. I think uh, in Command and Conquer, units are not so valuable. Uh, it's more cannon fodder. So you're expected to lose many, many units, but you just you have to crank out more and get a big army. And then the, the way to win is really to have... Um, yeah, like a dominating force. And, and it's not so much about one or two individual units doing something clever. 
so I think the yeah maybe it's a it 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 requires a bit of a different approach maybe. And also in terms of micromanagement, there's a tactic of uh, running over the enemy units when you're oh, yeah. using a tank, for instance, or a Tiberium container. Uh, it's very very effective against. Uh, people on foot so it's actually you're actually picking your tank and trying to run over the enemy yeah, but it's, uh, that's pretty micromanagement yeah right. and it's also very hard i think because it takes so much time until they execute the command so you tell them go here then they turn a second later or so they start turning <laughs> very slowly and then they start driving the direction but the enemy is long gone yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, maybe the Tiberium container I are not the best units for that. But <laughs> to be to be honest, there's one feature I so much I would wish for this game to have, which would be uh, like keep the order of your units. Like if you have lined up amount of tanks, like ten tanks across the screen, and then you see oh, all kinds of soldiers are coming up. I would like to select them all. Don't know, like hit shift click downwards and have everyone just move down straight like a wall of death oh, right. yeah to keep information you mean yes keep yeah, information they, yeah they don't that do would this be so all. helpful <laughs> yeah i think starcraft does that to a certain degree not completely but um, i remember moving some units around and you could tell them to stay in formation i think but uh, of empire 2 was yeah, very good for that All those, yeah. those historical, um, well, let's call them historical um, real-time strategy games, they are more likely to have such a feature, I feel. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about the AI. It's not very good, is it? <sighs> it's, uh, it's maybe the weakest point of the whole game. Right. But, um, it, but it's also cheating, which makes it very strong again. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a very weak e AI that that just cheats to get ahead right which is does it yeah it cheats massively it has it's, uh, i think it has unlimited amounts of money or at least lots and lots of yeah. money yeah well actually i think it's even worse i think there's no relation uh between the money and what it builds so it just builds units at a certain pace and mm -hmm. it just builds buildings at a certain pace yeah. and i don't think there's even money at all in the ai And uh, the, the harvesters, they are driving around, but it's for nothing. Yeah. You kill a harvester uh, for a human player and multiplayer, and this guy is basically done. But the yeah. AI doesn't care. No. At no, all. No, and it also builds buildings uh, that are not attached to other buildings. Right. So it can build a building in the middle of the map, which you can't do. And even it uh, can build um, like a factory onto your unit, and then your unit is gone. Really? Yes, that happened to What? me. What? <laughs> not not gone, just enslaved. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. The at the wrong spot, at the wrong time. <laughs> the AI back in the day was not able to actually build up a base, so it always had a base set up clearly. And yeah. whenever it was building a building, it actually just replaced one that was missing now. Yeah, that, I was just gonna say that it's not. It's not even an AI at all. It's just script. It's all completely scripted by hand, probably, just to say this building goes there on this map. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you would delete it or you would destroy it, and then it would just re replace it with the same building on the same location. So, yeah, there's not really... It's, I wouldn't call that an AI at all, actually. No. 
there's also this this thing, um, this one trick where you can conquer the enemy buildings with your engineer, mm, yeah. and the AI doesn't do anything about it. I mean, if it has a, a tower next to or a turret next to it, then it would sh- will shoot down your building, but that's it. Um, usually, they they are they are building tons of of units right next to my conquered building, and they're really? just standing there <laughs> waiting for me to build more engineers to conquer the rest of the buildings, and nothing happens. I think the engineer is actually one of the more interesting units, though. Uh, I mean, you can use it very effectively against the AI because it doesn't understand how to react. But if you use it in a multiplayer game, that's really, that's really quite tense because right. you think you're you're doing a good job, but then you're not paying attention, and suddenly these engineers come running in and they uh, they take over your base. So that's and also when you're starting to be really desperate you can just build a few engineers and try to steal someone else's buildings uh, maybe uh, i have a, a bad memory but i i think i remember that if you capture the enemy barracks it unlocks their units for you yeah yes that's correct. yeah it does yeah that was awesome I, I, yeah I, I think i remember that yeah and also if you take over the enemy construction yard then you can build their buildings wow yeah yeah so that's um, really cool. That's that's um, to compare again to the Blizzard games. I think that's something that only came with the StarCraft expansion, Brood War, in the uh, Blizzard universe. Hmm. That you could build. I think it was the Dark Archon or something like that that uh, could take over enemy units, including construction vehicles, and then you could uh, build enemy buildings. Right. But then only only one of the three factions was able to do that. So. Ah, okay. Several years later, and yeah, Command and Conquer already had it. Yeah, on both sides. Yes. <laughs> so, did anyone find any uh, reviews of, of how the game was received when it was released? Well, I do remember reading several like um, articles about basically every Command and Conquer game back in the day. Because, I mean, that was the time when I really picked up every PC gaming magazine I was able to. (laughs) And one really large thing I can remember, they all loved the game, the graphics, were like, oh, the videos are realistic and high quality and everything. But each and every single review I've read complained about the stupidity of the Tiberium Harvester. Uh. And to be honest, going back, I... Had it remembered so much worse than it actually was? <laughs> Did you have severe problems with the harvester? Uh, well, it's very slow and it's very stupid. Yeah, sometimes it, it doesn't pick the the nearest source of Tiberium. No. But to, you have to keep in mind, it always finds a source of Tiberium, even if you haven't discovered it yet. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Oh, really? Yeah. Does it? Yes, you, you, you can just build your, your refinery and you get your harvester and it will just start moving in one direction and... That's where the Tiberium is. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> um, oh, man. And have you ever had two or three harvesters stuck around a bridge? All right. Yes. <laughs> or, uh, harvesters going in, in circles around the base trying to enter the refinery, but then there's another harvester, and so it does another round trip around the base. <laughs> and when it comes back, the next harvester is, is there again. And Oh, terrible. Yeah. So, okay, so people back back when they were reviewing it, when it came out, they also noticed that, yeah, these pathfinding AI things, not exactly perfect. I do remember the game got a lot of love, though. I think people were really into this. I haven't found many actual reviews, though, from the time. Did you? 
No, uh, but if you look even at Metacritic, they do have a bit uh, some contemporary reviews. Okay, uh, but it was it was really rated highly. Yeah, it was uh, like uh, like Philip said. Yeah, this is a top-notch game. Uh, well, yeah, it was received. Uh, I, as I one. think it, it did contribute into uh, relaunching the strategy genre uh, in the video game universe. Definitely. Definitely. This is one of the games that made the whole genre blow up. Yeah, it's also one of the games that everybody knows. Even if you haven't played it, you know about GDI and not. Mm. I mean... Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the the IP is huge. Uh, but uh, then, then there's, a, there's a big question. Why did it get uh, down to average games and then disappear into the wild? The, the Command and Conqueror license, I mean. Ah, oh, that's a good question, because... Uh, Westwood Studios, I don't think it even exists anymore. No. Were they bought um, by EA or something they, like that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't they go for an online-only generals? Yeah. Command and Conquer again? I think the last thing they tried was indeed a, a free-to-play uh, online game, I think. And I remember that they were doing a beta test, and it was an open beta, I think, so so yes. people would, would join in. And it was so horrible, and it was reviewed so badly, that they decided to just halt development, uh, because there was no way they were going to improve uh, what, they, what they were developing. So, yeah, I don't think it was even released. So that's that's the sad end of the Command and Conquer g series. But I think another thing plays into that whole thing, and that's basically like the... In contrast to the 90s, this is a really downfall of all real-time strategy games. Hmm. How many real-time strategy games that came out during the last three years, you know? I mean, there's StarCraft 2, sure, but what else? And back then... Like like you guys all said before, there was innovation, innovation, innovation. But nowadays, so many people, again, go for round strategy again, which back then felt like, oh, we finally made it. We don't need those rounds anymore. We can play real-time strategy games. Right. And now, having the round is a really good thing for, like mobile games and short interval games like it's more compatible with joe everybody who just wants to play a game from time to time yeah turn-based you mean yes that's uh that's interesting because i do remember that turn-based games they were sort of the norm uh back in the 80s uh for strategy games and then then these real-time uh strategy games they were really uh applauded for 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 not being turn-based, like oh, this is awesome! It can be finally, it can be a strategy game, but also an action game. Uh, and it's interesting, an interesting observation that this whole genre has sort of died down now, and we're back to turn-based games. So yeah, that's kind of funny. But then again, Blizzard does still exist, and Westwood doesn't. So yeah, and uh, maybe we should at least mention it. Uh, some of the people uh, from Westwood Studios ended up forming Petroglyph Games, a new developer, okay. which uh, in 2015 released Grey Goo. Oh right, uh, which is also a real-time strategy. I haven't played it, but uh, 
apparently it does have this command and conquer feel to it. So maybe it's worth checking out. And it's also uh, music by uh, Frank uh, Klopecki. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's definitely uh, maybe a bit of the DNA of uh, Westwood Studios and Command and Conquer in that game. Hmm. And also, uh, I think real-time strategy is not really completely dead. I mean, it just evolved maybe into MOBAs, like uh, yeah. Defense of the Ancients and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, they, they, are, they still have uh, strong real-time strategy genes in yeah. them, right? Maybe they never really managed to get the AI right. And <laughs> going for multiplayer, that's just the way to solve this problem. Right. Just don't have any AI at all. Just have humans play against each other. Uh, an issue I have with uh, the recent RTSs is uh, the complexity of them. And uh, that's why I actually still uh, really enjoy Command and Conquer because it's pretty accessible, uh, I find, compared mm. to to the modern games like uh, StarCraft II and the, or the likes. You just uh, pick your units, there's a, a few different types, and you're, it's pretty clear what is effective against what. Uh, you don't have to think too much to to play and enjoy the campaign, and that's it. I think it's, a, it's still today a great introduction to the RTS genre. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is, this is a good point. This is um, a feature of more DOS games that I noticed, that there's something just nice to this more basic nature of them and they're not so complex and they're not so not yeah not laden with features and it makes for a, a nicer experience all in all so yeah. yeah that's pretty cool um should we talk a little bit about the multiplayer sure uh because we did play some multiplayer games we mentioned earlier that you can lend a disc to a friend so you can play uh uh over over uh, over modem, I think, or or null modem cable, even uh, when you're in a local network. Oh, it also supports IPX, the the local networking yeah. uh, thing. That worked great over uh, over the DOSBox IPX tunneling. Well, isn't that just amazing? Yeah, if we go back to our episode one where we tried playing Doom over this IPX stack, yeah. it was horrible. Yeah. And and for Command and Conquer it was perfect, and we had no sync issues and no dropouts. Yes. So, yeah, somehow amazing multiplayer technology, much better than the AI. <laughs> <laughs> did did uh, June two have multiplayer as well? No, I don't think so. I think it was uh, single player completely. Mm. So yeah, there was actually a new thing. Uh, also, yeah. yeah, the list goes on of new things that were introduced with this game. I'm not sure if uh, Warcraft had multiplayer. I think it might um, have had that. I'm I not sure. think it did. I mean, it had at one point, but I'm not sure if the first ones have. Yeah, it. They, they pretty much nailed it in Command and Conquer already. Yeah. It's a multiplayer. Because it, it just, it's just like we, we would expect mm -hmm. from playing an RTS online. Yeah, it was smooth as well. It was just, you know, it, it, you could just start the game like normal and then pick host the game from the menu and then others could join. And no, it was a lot easier to set up than, than Doom, for example. Yeah, but um, it was also two or three years later, so we had a bit more experience with multiplayer games. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, well done, Westwood, in that regard. Um, now, I see this thing here in the notes... About money clicking? What's that all about? Oh, it's just a simple observation that whenever you purchase a unit, you don't um, 
pay the full amount at once and then the unit is built. Oh, right. Um, but it's clicking down the money and you even hear it like click, 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 click and your money goes down All and right. the unit is built over progress. That also means if a unit costs, let's say, 200 and you only have 100, you can start building. It starts building it until 50% are finished and then it stops because you're out of money and then your Tiberium collector comes in and you continue building right or you sell something in the meantime yeah or you abort it whatever <laughs> and you get you get the money back right yeah, yeah, so you yeah. could use that yes maybe you can use it as an um, alternative to silos maybe oh yeah definitely I don't think building silos is a good strategy at all uh, if you need silos you just don't have enough units because uh, yeah just chunk out more units why not is there a unit limit in the game? I don't think uh, so. No, I, I read a comment somewhere that they explicitly didn't want that in the game. Yeah. And I actually remember maybe making my PlayStation lag a lot with <laughs> the, the final mission. I, I, I'm not even sure, uh, but uh, I think the GDI had uh, some sort of sandbox mission at the end. Uh, maybe with a code, I don't remember exactly, but I remember playing as a GDI on the on a, on a pretty huge map huh. on PlayStation, where I could basically uh, uh, just grab as much Tiberium as I want and uh, just make as much units as I want. Okay, and uh, I'd build uh, huge armies <laughs> to fight each other. That's cool. I mean, this could be a challenge. Like, how many infantry units could you fit fit onto the map? You can cheat the money if you want to. <laughs> but how many infantry units can you put on the map? Well, they're not. Yeah. You can't stack them on top of each other. So no, but like, I mean, there is a limit in that sense. Yes, but five infantry units, I think, use up like one space yeah. on the on the game map. Yeah. Yeah. So how many <laughs> can we get into the game until it crashes or whatever happens? Yeah, I'm not sure if it does crash because it, you are right that the, the frequently asked question document that comes with the game, they are really proud about not having a unit limit. Uh, so apparently there was a unit limit in, in June 2. Yes. Uh, and they solved this somehow. So yeah, I'm not sure if the game crashes or maybe it just maybe it's just fine. I don't know. Yeah, it, it just slowed down on my right. PlayStation. Huh. But it's also that's also an interesting design choice. I mean, in all the Blizzard games, they do have unit limits, and mm. I think it's not only for technical reasons, but also for uh, gameplay reasons. Mm. So, so you cannot like if you're playing StarCraft, you cannot just build uh, 100 uh, big Star Cruisers. You have to build five of them, and then yeah. <laughs> hope that they don't all get destroyed because you cannot have more than them at once. Right. I think it's also because it's pretty standard for game developers to try not having their game lag. <laughs> uh, so they are putting limits just so they are sure uh, the game is within range of what it can do on your system and uh, not uh, lag too much. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, so it's a really uh, unusual choice from uh, Westwood to let you just build as much units as you want, just because it's fun. <laughs> Maybe your computer or, or your console will lag to death, but it's fun, so go ahead, do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a, a more game developer, <laughs> like a technical challenge for them to, to see if they could pull this off. I'm not sure if this really leads to better game design, though, but yeah... 
well. No, but in the end, the, the whole game is basically um, geared towards that. Like with the yeah. flamethrower that we have talked about earlier, you just need lots and lots of inter- infantry units if you want to be sure that some survive to kill the flamethrower. Yeah, that's true. And also, I'm just remembering this, but the the whole game, it feels like one giant tutorial also. Because even up to, I think, one mission before mm-hmm. the end, uh, a new a new unit is introduced. So so they just keep uh, adding stuff all the way through. Uh, I'm not even sure if that's meant as a tutorial or more like uh, like a reward for the player that, oh, now you managed to play the first 20 missions, here's a new unit, uh, have fun. Yeah, yeah, okay. But I mean, you just keep learning while you're playing right. because they keep right. introducing new things. I think it's like you said earlier that uh, they have to introduce new units or new mechanics to have uh, to turn the strategy on the top of its head, uh, yeah. you know, to, to keep things fresh and original. You have to think every time to find a, a new solution to finish a scenario. Yeah, right. I, I remember the first mission on GDI site when you have to um, play against Nod who have the obelisk of, of light for the first time and you just rush into the base with your tanks and the tanks just get wrecked. Yeah, yeah, that obelisk, <laughs> man. Uh, yes. oh. <laughs> yeah, but very much. But yeah. It, but then, on, on the other hand, uh, three, four missions later, it's very easy to destroy with orcas. So exactly, <laughs> that's basically what you said. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's pretty clever. Do you guys remember the sand fa- uh, sand sack bug or feature? You mean that you can uh, build a, a, a something in the middle of the map by just building? Yes. Yeah. I, that's, uh, I did that a few times. That's not a bug. <laughs> Clearly, yes. that's meant the the way that it's meant to be played. <laughs> yeah, and just for the listeners, it's basically you can only build buildings where your current buildings are, like nearby. Mm-hmm. But a sand sack counts as a building, and it's super cheap. So you just put a line of sand sacks, and you even can sell where you began to build your sand sack. So you basically have three parts of sand sack, build another one in the front, sell the one in the back, and like have your sand socks, uh, sandbags walk across the map and you can basically like build it around the enemy because the enemy won't ever attack sand sacks. <laughs> and, and I can, uh, I know that Martin used that extensively during our multiplayer session and he wrecked us Ooh. using that tactic. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. I, isn't this how you're supposed to play this game? <laughs> But there are also limits to that. Um, you, you cannot build your uh, sandbag walls over bridges, for example. Oh, you totally um, can. I, you can? <laughs> yes, you totally I, can. I tried that. It didn't work for me. Maybe maybe I was doing it wrong. Uh, huh. I think sand, uh. sand sacks are the, the chemical weapons of Command Conquer. You just <laughs> agree not to use that. <laughs> no, actually, uh, in one of the li- later GDI missions... Um, you are given just a uh, construction yard on a very small island. So the only way to get a bigger base is by doing the sandsack thing across the bridge huh. because there's no other way to, to expand beyond this island. Maybe we are not supposed to expand, actually. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, I don't know. But it does work uh, to build them over the bridge. So, yeah, I don't know. Huh, interesting. Um, in the later in the game, um, is there ever a way to get a second construction yard? Um, I never finished the, the campaign, obviously, but um, do you ever get two bases? Um, I don't think they're given to you. 
but you can use an engineer to take over an enemy one. Yeah, of course. But okay, so you cannot build your own new whatever those vehicles are called. Drive it around the map to the next Tiberium uh, deposits and put your new base there. I I don't think so. But I, I when you play uh, multiplayer, then you can you can find one in a uh, there's there's these what do you, what do you call them these boxes oh, these crates yes yes exactly oh, so, crates yes yeah they're these random crates uh, that ha- that g- include bonuses um so yeah there can be a, a construction vehicle inside one of those so in multiplayer there's a way to get a second one but okay but that's that's purely random then yeah I don't think because it, I remember in in Blizzard games it was really important to build a second base and the third base next to your uh, gold or minerals mm. depending which game uh, as early as possible. Right, right. I think maybe this was more of a thing in Red Alert and later games. I don't think it was so much part of Command and Conquer, but I'm I'm not completely sure. So, um, Florian, uh huh, you picked this game. I did, but you never played it before. Nope. But now you did. Yes. So would you uh, recommend this game now that you've played it? Uh, To be honest, with those usability problems that we discussed or at least uh, touched on, uh, maybe not. It's not not for um, casual players, I guess. Hmm. If you're really into the genre or if you like uh, the CNC universe and stories, then, then sure, play it. But... When you're just starting out playing these games, then maybe start with Red Alert or any of the later games. Because they include more, uh, well, less clunky UIs and and less clunky, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. Like, there are some things that are just very weird to me. Like, uh, you have those those airborne units, but they don't reveal any of the fog of war. And once they are in transit from position A to B, you cannot select them anymore. Unless you have grouped them before, then you can select them again. Not even sure if that's a bug or if that's uh, by design. It's a bit... Uh. Yeah, I'm not sure either. They, they feel a bit hacked in, to be honest. Yeah. The, the, right. the air units, yeah. Huh. So, hmm, maybe, maybe Warcraft is more refined in this area also? I don't really recall how Warcraft 1 held up in comparison to that, but I remember Warcraft 2 being much more accessible. Hmm. Right. So, hmm, so maybe... Command & Conquer is a bit of a disappointment then? Um, I wouldn't say it's a disappointment. It's just uh, much more hard. It's much harder to get into the game than I expected um, when I proposed to play it. Mm, right, yeah. I mean, it, you, you, get, you get compensated for that. I mean, you get those, those really um, hilariously funny cutscenes. <laughs> uh, I remember the one with the scientist that explains yeah. how uh, Tiberium works. I was like, <laughs> oh, come on. Is, is, it, is it that... <laughs> Is that bad acting? Is that uh, real bad acting? Or is it uh, a good actor playing a bad actor? But Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> it, it, it was just, just awesome. I mean, you wouldn't see that in a modern game anymore, would you? No. No, that's, yeah, that's really what makes this game also... Uh, it has a lot of character because of this. It's really, uh, it's really charming. Yes. In a weird way, because it's also very brutal and it's about war and explosions, but it's still also sort of... Oh, look at this. Oh, look, they tried to make a video. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, it's it's one of the earliest examples that I can think of with of a game that has so many full motion video scenes mm. like this one. Yeah, totally, totally. 
Yeah, well, to me, uh, just to, to agree a bit with uh, Florian, maybe it's true that uh, there are better games, uh, in, if only in terms of uh, UI and controls to discover the Command and Conquer license. Uh, Red Alert, or I remember playing Red Alert mm. 2, which was, which was really a great game as yeah. well. Uh, so maybe if you want to discover the license, uh, go ahead and try those ones. Uh, but the, the first one was, I think, uh, with a historic context, pretty groundbreaking. So it's uh, really a, a great game. And uh, if only for the, the cutscenes, it's worth <laughs> checking out. Yeah, exactly. I won't think in terms of like computer game history and especially real-time strategy history... You really should give Dune 2 a look, uh, Command and Conquer, and Warcraft 2. That's my experience. Um, going back to it, I must have said, like, the UI is not as bad as I remembered, but the weird balance of unit is worse than I thought, like, like you mentioned the Grenadiers. And to be honest, I always thought back to that game like oh yeah Warcraft 2 is where you replay rock paper scissors and with command and conquer you just need more units mm. than the enemy and then you win I went back to the game and no that was not the case <laughs> on the other hand there are those really nice videos and everything and it's quite an experience but for someone who's not interested in the historical stuff, but more like in the, oh, let's play an old RTS game, I would wholeheartedly recommend going back to the Red Alert games. Because, I mean, the setup is, to me, just much more funnier. The units are more over the top. Everything's bigger and crazier. I love it. Yeah, I've heard very good things about Red Alert 2, especially. Um... I mainly played Red Alert 1, and uh, to be honest, by then I was a bit done with the whole RTS genre, because I played so much of June 2 and Command and & Conquer and Warcraft and Red Alert, and then then I, I thought to myself, well, I've, I've sort of seen this genre, let's move on to something else. But I've heard very good things about Red Alert 2. Um, it might well be the, the best entry into the Command & Conquer series. Although, I don't think it's a DOS game, is it? I don't think so. No, it's a Windows game. So, meh, we don't care about was, it. <laughs> was Red Alert even released? The first Red Alert even released for DOS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a hybrid uh, executable. Yeah, uh, on the same disc, you could play both in DOS and in Windows. Ah. Uh, but in Windows, you got a be better resolution. So everyone was trying to play it in Windows. Um, uh, interestingly, the Red Alert 2 game was a Windows exclusive. Wow. I think. From Wikipedia. Oh, so no PlayStation either? Nope. Huh. I think Red Alert was was released on PlayStation. Uh, not completely sure about that. but So, yeah. I, I Personally, I can't help but love Command & Conquer, to be honest. I just... I love the craziness, and I love the, 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 the 90-ness of it, and the music is cool, and it... Yeah, it's all over the top. And, uh, yeah, there are some issues, I suppose, but it's a, it's a big improvement over June 2, so... Yeah, I don't know. They're trying, and they're... Yeah, it's... Uh, I can't help but love it. I just I just ignore the faults. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something it's... we talked about a few times. You said you want even more unpredictability and 
uh, units yeah. responding slower because yeah that's more like real battle and you have to plan for that but uh, yeah as, as you also also said that's that's maybe the reason why those games are not used in esports oh yeah totally no but i'm i'm very much not into esports <laughs> i just <laughs> i wouldn't hold up uh, very well there um so yeah th- this this has been command and conquer then um thanks for ju- suggesting it well, Florian, because sure. <laughs> uh, we did have a lot of fun with it um so yeah that's uh that's that um, so martin what are we playing next month uh, or uh, this month maybe first <laughs> yeah that's interesting because it's uh 21 august by now so we have already been playing for 21 days uh the amazing quest for glory by sierra online which oh i love so much this game is maybe one of my most favorite dos games of all time uh i love the the whole series i love i love sierra games in general um i know nowadays they're not always so um well they're compared to the lucas arts adventures a lot and then then people say like yeah the game design is worse because you can get stuck and you die a lot and yeah well okay maybe that's true but they have tons and tons of character and and the stories are great the writing is great so i really love all the sierra games and i love quest for glory especially um it's um it's a hybrid between an rpg and a and a uh well i want to say point and click adventure game but there's actually uh a remake of the game released in 1992 that's the point and click adventure game Uh, but the original that was released in the 80s, that was a uh, a text parser game where you could type away and then uh, it would execute your, your commands. So that's also interesting that this game uh, has two versions. It's essentially the same game, but it's played in a completely different way. So, uh, yeah, that's something to talk about the next time. Um, and, yeah... And I, 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 I hope you guys are all uh, uh, playing this game and, and checking it out and, and writing uh, stuff on our forums and talking about it in the uh, IRC channel on, uh, on Afternet, uh, hashtag DOSGameClub. Um, so that's what we're doing now. And then uh, the month uh, after uh, August, which is, of course, September, we will play Commander Keen. By its software. But which part are we going to play? I guess all the important parts, right? Um, people always say, like, uh, the first trilogy is, is the, the the start, and then Commander Keen 4 is maybe the, bo- the best in the series, I hear from some people. Um, so, yeah, I guess we start at episode 1, and everyone just plays as much as they like to. And maybe if you make it to episode 4, you can say, yeah, it's really the best episode. And I, we will find out. I, I only ever played episode one. And I'll be completely honest, I've never played Commander Kin, and I barely heard, I've barely heard about it. So I've heard it's a classic, but uh, no more. Uh, yeah, I think they're really famous, but I haven't played a lot of Commander Kin either. So it's also new to me. Um, I knew people in my uh, uh, primary school who were really massive fans of Commander Kin. And they would enjoy, uh, invite me over and say, oh, come play Command and Keen. And I would look at their screens and think, meh, this <laughs> is meh, okay. 
So I was never really impressed. Let, let, just let me kill people on Common on Conquer. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll give it a try now. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what, it, what it's got to offer. So, uh, yeah, that's what we'll be doing the next uh, months. Um, and, and, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's what's keeping us busy, I suppose. So, um, thanks for joining, you guys. Uh, Florian, Marwan, and, and Philip. Thank you. Uh, and, and thanks all the listeners, of course, yeah. for, uh, for hearing us uh, discuss Command and & Conquer. And, and I hope you all uh, come join us and, and uh, talk with us about these, those games uh, in, in the coming months. Right. Also, maybe on, on Twitter, maybe you want to follow us. Hmm. We are quite appropriately named um, DOS Game Club. Interesting. <laughs> just, just visit us, follow us. Yeah. So uh, thanks for, for listening. And, and uh, please feel free to join us. And uh, see you next time, I suppose. So thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.